Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Antique Auction Forum podcast. I'm Martin Willis, your host. Uh, we are certainly in trying times um, in this country and around the world. And uh, I decided to do a podcast. I mentioned uh, kind of the uh, the focus on the podcast is is this is time stamped uh, started I believe on uh, March 31st recording with a few um, auction companies and uh, it's currently April 4th uh, 2020 and uh, so it's a time stamp uh, podcast talking about what is going on in the world and uh, the world of antiques and fine arts uh, auctions and uh, where to move forward so the initial guest that I had is uh, is Steve Fletcher and he is a uh, uh, a partner and uh, an American uh, furniture specialist at Skinner Auction Company in Boston and uh, in the Boston area. And then uh, we go over to uh, Wes Cowan, who is out in uh, the mid-states in Ohio, and we talk to him uh, about what is what he is doing in his last uh, auction results. And then out to the West Coast, where I used to work at Clara's uh, Auction Gallery in Oakland, California, uh, and speak with Rick Unra. Um, he uh, is talking about his uh, March sale, and uh, he has a optimistic view and also makes a lot of good points like uh, the others. The last segment in the show is with a longtime friend. Uh, and he is a global picker, actually, Greg Willett, and I'll be talking to him last. And so I hope you all are healthy and are staying safe, and uh, we'll be right back. Uh, with our first guest, Steve Fletcher. All right, um, so I'm on the line with Stephen Fletcher, and uh, Stephen is head of the Americana department at Skinner, a longtime uh, company with a great reputation. Uh, welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you, Martin. Appreciate it. And does, uh, would you say Skinner has been in business how long exactly? Oh, my goodness, um, 50 some odd years. Right. Um, and uh, we've seen a lot of hurdles over the years um, with the downturn in the economy and different things happening. And then never really the recovery of uh, good American furniture or, uh, you know, mediocre furniture, that is, for the most part, um, since 2008. Uh, this is a new one on all of us. And uh, how are you doing well, there, it, Skinner? It's, uh, we're, we're doing all right. I think what we have to do is recognize this dramatically changed atmosphere and um, realize that it has to be dealt with... Uh, in, a, in a, a new way. So what we're doing currently is not that new to Skinner. Um, I don't mean the problem. The problem is beyond anyone's belief. Mm -hmm. But the way we're dealing with it is uh, we have things to sell, interesting things. So, for example, uh, the sale that uh, the Americana Department has coming up um, was originally scheduled to be a live auction, the first uh, section on April 4, about 270 lots or so. And then the second part um, would have been, as it has been now traditionally for several years, like a timed online sale. Um, and 
So we altered a little bit early on and decided to continue with a live auction, only we'd have an auctioneer but no audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have, you know, if you phone bidders, absentee bidders, people bidding online, uh, bid square, skin alive, and that's not all that different than uh, live auctions, and that is, everyone knows, I think, if they go to lots of sales, you know, the audiences are nowhere as big as they used to be, at least in person, they're all out there, you just can't see them. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be really, you know, I know you're the longtime auctioneer there, Um, as an auctioneer myself, I'm going to say that's going to feel awkward (laughs) to actually do do an auction where you're not actually, you know, you're talking to the phone bidders basically and uh, absentee bidders, and then you're talking to the online audience. Um, now, do you actually do your um, auctions? Some auctioneers do the video as well live during the auction. Do you do that? What we do is um, we do not, the video does not show the auctioneer, but rather the object. And mm-hmm. there's a soundtrack, so you can see what you can hear, I should say, what's happening. Um, in the room, and people get a pretty sense uh, because what they're hearing is live, like a few seconds delay or whatever. Um, but in this case, you know, we finally reverted to an, uh, the whole auction will be conducted online, a timed auction. So the, <clears throat> the live part, we decided to abandon that and simply go with the timed approach because it's proven to be um, very successful. Now, I can speak for my department especially. The online participation is most excellent. People trust Skinner to give them good advice, uh, provide them with additional photographs, condition reports, um, and we work very hard at that, and that's also something that isn't new to Skinner. We've done that for many, many years. That's something Bob Skinner um, said he would do right from the get-go, is represent property accurately, um, mm-hmm. uh, citing its faults or its uh, attributes, you know. Yeah. So I think we have a, uh, if I may say so, I think we have a very uh, trusting relationship between our our uh, buyers. They trust us to give them the this straight information. And as a result, uh, there's been, you know, decades, I think, of goodwill produced as a result of that effort. Um, the last... Mm, maybe two two auctions, maybe three. There have been more than uh, a thousand bidders. And uh, let me tell you, wow. uh, or as bidding in the room is concerned, you could have a major auction and like 38 people show up and they don't stay that long. That's right. So those, those bidders are out there. Um, and for a guy that, <laughs> like me, who's been at Skinner's ever since I was a teenager, um, it's, a, it's a changed atmosphere. Skinner mm-hmm. was very, very early on to establish Skinner Live, so we had kind of a head start in that area um, of having a, our own website for bidding at Skinner. And mm-hmm. it's proven to be a wonderful investment for us, and uh, it, it works. What can I say? Can you explain to the uh, person that may not be aware of how a, a timed auction works compared to a normal auction? Sure. Well, in this case, both sec- both uh, sections of the sale um, <clears throat> begin at noon on April 4th. Uh, the first part of the sale ends on April 13 at 7 p.m. second part ends uh, April 15 at 7 p.m. And we staggered it a little bit because there's an awful lot of uh, material there. So it gives the folks who uh, 
want to bid on the number of lots, a little greater opportunity, a bigger window, if you will, to participate. Um, I can tell you from uh, personal experience, every once in a while something comes up at Skinner's that I would like to bid on, so I have I have no advantage to working there, no inside information mm-hmm. online. I have no idea who's bidding. Um, but as a result, somebody said, well, you know, that, you know, that whole competitive atmosphere in the room is gone. Um, no, it isn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can tell you that it's very much alive um, on the Internet. And, uh, and uh, sometimes I win things and sometimes I don't. Times that I've won things, um, I certainly have paid as much or more than I might have had I left a bid, for example. Um, you really do get involved in the, uh, the I can't explain it. It's that uh, you don't know who the competition is. You don't know who you're bidding against. And so it uh, creates this atmosphere in which I know I feel like, oh, my God. It's, it's, it's a little stressful, but it's exciting. And that's actually, uh, that echoes very much the way I think people feel about live auctions. You know, you're vying for a thing, you're holding your paddle up, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you, see, you see your contemporaries around you bidding as well. Um, the unknown thing here is, who are my contemporaries? <laughs> you have no idea who's bidding. That's right. Um, so it, it's worked, it's worked uh, very well for us, and in fact, we have said on occasion, gee, I think that brought money uh, online that it would have live. I think mm-hmm. in the case of furniture, for example, buying a piece of furniture is a, you know, it's a fairly major decision. It takes up a lot of space in a right. room. Mm-hmm. It's a very important part of, uh, of uh, someone's decorative scheme of their collection. So the idea of giving people days to think about it. And sometimes what I've done, I'll take an image from a Skinner catalog, and uh, there it is on my phone, and I literally will stand... I've done this with paintings, stand in the corner of a room, and you can kind of visualize the picture on the wall, mm-hmm. if you will, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and think, you know, that would work, or it wouldn't work. Um, so maybe let a lot of other people do that. I don't. I have no idea. I would think they would. So as far as this sale is concerned, we've had lots of interest, and um, I'm looking at uh, Help Scout, and these all these inquiries... Uh, come in, and they, I've looked today they continue to come in from a variety of people all over the place, and I must admit, a lot, I don't know who a lot of these people are, mm-hmm. but they, they ask good questions. Well, there's a lot of people sitting at home right now. This is a pod, you know, most of my podcasts are just, they're kind of timeless, but this one's definitely time-stamped um, because of what we're going through. But It's a, it's a timed podcast. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So in a timed auction, would people bid, like, does it have, like, a closing bid where you just have to bid before then, or just like a regular auction? Well, the um, what happens is that normally, you know, the, 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 the closure of any given sale and your opportunity to bid is incremental. So it doesn't all close at once. It, it closes incrementally until all of the lots have finally been sold. So if somebody says, obviously they can't bid at the last second on five different lots, it's impossible. We discovered that very early on. So the sale closes over a period of time. I mean, I was in New Hampshire in Exeter on a house call, and I thought, how much time do I have between now and when I get home? I, I live like, what, 
two and a half hours from there, three hours, I don't know. Um, so I figured out, you know, by the time this part of the sale ends, I'll be home. So when I got home, I had 23 minutes to spare. <laughs> and I had two things I wanted to bid on. So it's been a long drive, so I put a nice glass of Sauvignon Blanc, and that was a mistake. And <laughs> <laughs> Did a little high? <laughs> a little bit. I got pretty excited. But I won the two lots. And uh, in retrospect, I said to myself, I paid, I paid more for those than I would have if I'd left a bid. Mm. Um, it's, so that's part of it. At any rate, it gives people a chance to bid throughout the sale. It doesn't all end at once. And there are instances where there's, you know, in the last day or two of any timed auction, it's a, it's a, it is a live auction. And as the hours come down to a, a precious few, as... as uh, it says in that song, September song, I think. Anyway, um, the bids start coming fast and furious, and you literally can see them change before your eyes. No one is aware of what anybody else is bidding, and mm -hmm. with, with Skinner's uh, website, it'll simply say uh, in green, high bid, so you know you're good. Well, mm. then you wander, we go back and said, you've been outbid, please bid again. So you have a choice of bidding again. It's, um, it's pretty easy. Uh, when there's a lot of interest, let's say, in a particularly rare lot, um, and there are a lot of bids stacking up almost simultaneously, that particular lot, uh, the closing time will be extended, sometimes five minutes or more, because as long as the bids are coming, and you're not waiting a long time, but you, you, know, you can wait a minute or two for others, um, it's yet again another opportunity for somebody to you know, take a deep breath and think, okay, I've got to do it now or not, you know. It works. Uh, wow. It, it's successful. Yeah, that, that really sounds a, an interesting way to bid. Now, what about uh, for the people on, that are watching this on YouTube? You can see there's a beautiful um, chest of drawers that you're standing, uh, you're kneeling next to, uh, just a gorgeous piece. Uh, that sold for an enormous amount of money, only last November. Um, you can talk briefly about that, but I wanted to know what you thought the future or the contemporary times of right now, uh, how do you think furniture is going to fare online when they're shipping? Uh, or do you think that the local people will come and pick up the really fine local, locally made period pieces? Yeah, I suspect that um, people, people will um, come and pick things up. There may be a little bit of delay. It depends on on just what uh, Charlie Brown, our governor, says about access to any business, for that matter. Um, but I know that uh, uh, someone came to look at a couple things, and the things were brought outside. And they said, "This is even better. There's more light." <laughs> <laughs> but the but the you know the high res images are really good. So in many instances, let's say somebody wants to buy a I don't know. Oh, there's, there's a really, in the sale, there's a lovely Tiger Maple, Massachusetts, Queen Anne dressing table, and it has like a, a compass, Mariner's compass inlay on the top. It's the sweetest thing. Um, people will ask for an image. I want to see the inlay on the top. Take the drawers out. I want to see the underside of the top. I want to see the construction of the drawers. Can you show me the dovetailing? Can you show me the bottoms? Mm -hmm. Are the drop pendants original? Uh, are the brasses original? In this case, the brasses are later than the piece. I think the piece is made in 1730 or 40. The brasses are really cool. At some point, somebody modernized the piece, if you will, probably had little Queen Anne 
tiny brasses at some point. This now has very attractive federal brasses, and it, as far as I'm concerned, it jazzes the piece up a little bit more. Didn't need any help, but at any rate, but the brasses are nifty. They have like an embossed beehive, and it says nothing without labor. Mm. So, so those are those are really. I don't think they're a negative myself. Mm-hmm. At any rate, if someone uh, is interested in that, um, they can ask for whatever they want as far as images are concerned. In the end, you know, when somebody says, well, what do you think? I mean, a lot of it just has to do, I guess, with experience, one's personal taste. It's a judgment call. It's subjective, too. I mean, is this in really great condition? Well, I think it is. Um, and it, it, it's true, in my opinion, and hopefully it would be echoed in the person asking the, the question, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess we'll end um, on this um, question. Are you optimistic that um, we can keep carrying on at this time and uh, should still consider uh, selling and and well, I think and buying? The, I think- I think what people in the auction industry are looking at currently is just results of recent sales. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Jeffrey Evans had a sale of 19th century lighting just, what, two days ago. It went went well. Um, uh, Skinner had a sale of Militaria with some very interesting, uh, historically important stuff. That went very well. Um, Cowan had a sale. Um, I heard good reports about that. Um, there's a lot of interest out there, and uh, I think people still want to collect. Um, I think if you're, you know, if you're a dyed-in-the-wool collector, um, it's like, nothing's going to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that's the attitude. Yes. So yes. the only thing I can say about this uh particular sale is that the inquiries are, are coming in nicely and they're on par with um, other sales where we didn't have this big problem out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm so cautiously optimistic and uh, I think the auction business in the last 20 years as we've all seen has adapted to all kinds of changes. I mean That's the first true. sales I worked at at Scans we, had, we didn't have telephone bids. That's right. Well, then, then yep. there were absentee bids, then, then came telephone, mm-hmm. and then came the Internet. And well, we had fax live. bids, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, BidSquare, for example, um, those are all means by which a, a very diverse audience can at least access information about your sale. Um, so I have not heard about any sale in the past. I mean, it seems like a week now. It seems like a year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but I haven't heard about any uh, sales that haven't gone well um, at this juncture, which is reassuring. It's almost like a snowstorm. Everyone thinks no one else is going to be there, <laughs> and everybody's there. In a way, well, that's, that's kind of that's how a, I'm seeing this work. That's an interesting analogy because many years ago, when it, oh, this is like decades ago, we had a sale of uh, shaker material, and these two brothers in New Hampshire had collected material and there was um, a, a terrible snowstorm um, but Skinner had said uh, I think he'd learned in an earlier occasion many many years ago before this we had a we used to have a sale like the 
day after I think Thanksgiving, and it, the weather was terrible, so he canceled it. Well, all these people showed up, and they had come from tremendous distances, wow. and they were mad as hell. Wow. Skinner said, "We're not going to. We're not going to do this any. We're not going to postpone an auction because of weather." <laughs> um, so, going back to the Shaker sale, horrible snowstorm, and we lost our power. We had a, a gasoline power <laughs> generator that produced just enough light. I mean, this is before computers, so you don't have to worry about internet yeah. uh, access. At any rate, the sale was a big success. So many people showed up, and it was it was like sort of this almost a party atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. This is, yeah. I think we'll weather this storm, too. Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of people at Skinner's who have been there for years, and people like the work they do. Um, it's a happy place to work. So it's, you know, not an easy business, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's harder as a technology. You think it would go the other way around, but it's it's a lot of work to make sure people have the right information. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Stephen. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, as always. Thank you, Martin, and uh, appreciate your reaching out to speak to me. Sure. My guest now is Wes Cowan. How are you, Wes? I'm great. How are you today? Some of my longtime listeners might remember you were on a show long so long ago you don't even remember. <laughs> I'm an old man. I, that doesn't surprise me at all. I hardly remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> well, we we uh, we were talking about your history detective show mostly, which, ah, okay. which I ancient history. Yeah, that, that's too bad because that 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 show was. I love that show, and I thought you couldn't have a better job than do something like you were doing. It just seemed like so much fun. I mean, that's one of the funnest parts, uh, you know, researching these things. And uh, that's too bad. uh, Do they play reruns out there? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think you can watch any of them on PBS's website. Ah, uh-huh. Well, uh, we are in interesting times, unfortunately, and like I mentioned to Steve Fletcher, who was just on, you know, this is a time-stamped podcast when generally podcasts can be up for years and, you know, they, they kind of still work. Everything, you know, seems like you could listen to it yesterday or three years from now. This one is definitely time-stamped because we're in the situation we are in today, which is uh, is pretty scary, uh, but here we are. We have to move forward in business. And uh, I watched your auction. Uh, it was a, a week and a half ago, or was it a week ago? The 20th of March, yes. Um, it was brilliant. It went, it went, it went incredibly well. And uh, so I, w- I wanted you to talk, uh, wh- what, do you, what do you think is, uh, you think that's going to maintain? Um, and, and what did you do differently um, to make that auction work the way it did? Well, you know, look, I think that all of us know that um, that there's no such thing as a live auction before a gallery of bidders anymore. Not until this blows by us or blows through us or whatever we're going to call it. But um, we were very cognizant of that before the sale and we made um, 
uh, quite a bit of effort to encourage our bidders to bid online, either through Cowan's live bidding platform, our proprietary bidding platform, or through Invaluable uh, or Live Auctioneers or BidSquare, three other online uh, bidding platforms. And we, um, we feel like we were pretty successful. We had a lot of action uh, on all four of those platforms, but most on Cowan's Live. Um, in fact, we almost sold um, as much on Cowan's Live as, as BidSquare Live Auctioneers and Invaluable combined. Wow. So there was a lot of uh, uh, our, our email campaign to our existing customers seems to have worked. Um, uh, you know, and we, we also, this was before we were ordered not to be open. Uh, we also um, had allowed people by appointment to come in one at a time to preview the sale. And uh, we also, on the day of the sale, were able to use our staff for telephone bidding. Um, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to do that going forward, but we, we were able to do that on that particular day. And I think that that also, of course, makes a difference. But uh, overall, we were very pleased. We saw um, 30% of our bidders, our registrants, there are not the registrants, but the people who actually bid, were new to Cowan's and mm. about the same amount of buyers, in other words, people who won something the day of the auction, were also new. So 30% on both sides there. Uh, we, we thought that that was very encouraging and, and you know, um, perhaps a reflection of people sitting at home in front of their computers and saying, you know, man, what am I going to do? I've, you know, I mean, if, you, if you collect this stuff, you, you know, you got to collect, you've got to buy it or you're not a collector anymore. So um, I think that uh, people are potentially spending a lot of, a lot more time in, in terms of in, in front of their uh, computer. You know, I also yes. had reached out and done a lot of social media on, uh, on Facebook and uh, I'm sure we were on uh, Instagram and Pinterest and, you know, all these places reaching out to people saying, Hey, here's a place to bid. Right. I now I remember the last time we talked. I believe you had just built that platform. You're talking about your bidding platform, which is I don't remember any other auction houses at that time. Uh, you were kind of a pioneer in doing that, weren't you? Well, I don't know that we. You know, I don't know how much of a pioneer we were. We there were pl there were other bidding platforms, but uh, we had proprietary software that we built. Uh, and added to and rebuilt and worked on over uh, almost 15 years. And uh, we have a, a, a programmer uh, who is employed um, um, by the software company that we ultimately spun off called Fair Warning Software. And we asked James how hard it would be to build a live bidding platform. He said, you know, I can probably do it. It'll probably take me a month of programming. And you know, he did. So um, as far as I know, we may be the only person that has their own proprietary lab bidding platform that we that we we built ourselves. But as you know, there are plenty of other oh, yeah. competitors that have this now. Right. Yeah. I was meaning uh, your company having its own. Um, 
So I'm trying to picture how your auction, this last one, went. You you had an auctioneer yourself or an auctioneer, and you had phone bidders, absentee bids, and then people on all the applets, on all the uh, bidding platforms there, yeah. but no audience. Is that is that how it no went? Audience. Doesn't make doesn't make it much fun for the auctioneer. Yeah, but, it must be uh, kind of awkward in a way. <laughs> you know, and if we didn't have phone bidders, uh, then you wouldn't even the the computer and uh, you know we're going to see more and more of that I think um, I I like to be able to include phone bidders when possible but you know our, our number one concern at at this point on March the thirtieth twenty twenty is the health and safety of our employees and of course you know anyone who comes. To our auction gallery. So un until we can feel confident that we can protect our employees, uh, we are unlikely to have, you know, a live auction and, I, and I, a live auction in the traditional sense. I, I think that um, I think that we're going to see this trend, and we already are seeing this uh, as we move forward. Auctions are going to continue to happen; they're just not going to happen with people in the gallery and whether they're going to happen with people on the telephone is going to vary from state to state. Right. Um, when I spoke with uh, Steve um, at Skinner's, he said that they're doing timed auctions from this point on. Do you see that as, as something you may look into trying? Well, we've always done timed auctions. We have, uh, we had a proprietary timed auction uh, program that we used actually long before we had the live bidding applet. So we, we do a number of timed auctions. Um, I, you know, I don't know how many we did last year. I'm going to say 25 timed online only auctions. In other words, um, and when I say a timed online auction, online only auction, I mean a, an eBay style auction where we post the lots that we're selling. People can bid for a week, and then at 12 o'clock uh, on the seventh day of the auction, uh, we start the auction, and every one and a half minutes or one minute, a lot is clerked and, and sold. So, you know, if you're bidding live, you can bid live on your computer just like you would on eBay, and you can snipe last-minute bidders, although we, we make, it a, make it hard because we have an extended bidding uh, option that we use that allows us to extend the bidding so that sniping really doesn't occur. Now, I noticed a lot of your furniture did very well, too. And I, I was actually surprised at that when I was watching. Um, was well, that? I think, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I think that um, the weeks, the weak part of the sale was our furniture. Um, better furniture did OK. Uh, some did better than OK. Uh, I would say most of it did just okay. And then there were a number of lots that passed. You know, mm -hmm. uh, in, in this particular time, and, and, and honestly, it's, it's something that we've seen as a trend actually before COVID-19. Um, small things uh, outperform uh, furniture in general. Um, we live in a generation, we live in a time now where uh, many of collectors who are baby boomers are downsizing or they already have a house full of stuff and 
you know, they're not looking for pieces of furniture. Uh, if you're a furniture collector, uh, you want to concentrate and focus on superior examples. And so if there's a piece of furniture that comes to auction that has an any excuse to be made, by excuse to be made, I mean, it's been refinished or it, there's been some repairs or, or anything that would cause someone to think, do I really need this piece of furniture? It's going to, it will sell, but it will not sell uh, necessarily for what it might have sold 10 years ago, for, for example. And I think that's what we saw in the sale. There, there were a number of pieces of furniture um, that we didn't sell. Um, so the, the, sale was, the sale was good. It was, uh, in terms of sell-through, we sold, I think, about 85%. That's great, really. I mean, yeah. 15% we didn't sell. So mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. anyway, that's my thought about furniture. It's a really good time, you know, for the listener out there. You know, it is a really good time to buy really nice pieces of furniture. And, you know, like uh, Wes just said, you know, something with, say it's refinished, if that doesn't bother you and it's still a beautiful piece, it sure beats going to Ikea, if you ask me. <laughs> um, would you um, tell us what you think of the, as far as this particular last auction, um, did something seem to trend fairly high uh, in a category? Well, I think um, there were a number of areas where I was pleased. Uh, we had a collection from um, north of Cincinnati, a uh, collection of Americana that had a lot of great early lighting. In, um, oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And there was a lot of it. And I was frankly concerned that uh, a people weren't interested in that lighting and b uh, that we were going to be stuck with a lot of it so um uh, i was pleasantly surprised that people were still interested in this that there were there were bidders who recognized that this was an, an unusual group of uh good early american lighting and it did very well uh, i think some of the stoneware that we had also did well so um anything that was good and it was small, they could be put into a box and shipped, uh, you know, I think performed well. Right. Uh, I saw that too. I, I totally agree um, with that. I didn't watch the entire auction, but I, I kept checking in and, and watching things. And I do remember some really great lighting pieces. Um, as far as, um, you know, this, this is a tough time to talk to consigners, I would think, um, to, you know, kind of comfort them and say, you know, you've already consigned this piece. You know, when, once people consign something, they're used to not living with it. They usually want it to go. Um, and, uh, but I'm sure there's some conversations you've had to have. Yeah, uh, there, there were, um, uh, there were several, but uh, most were, uh, as you say, they didn't want it back. They, they, they questioned, well, is this really the time to, to do this? And my reaction was, you know, in 25 years, I've never canceled an auction. Um, I've had auctions in the middle of snowstorms where it was snowing and there was eight inches of snow on the ground and people still came to the auction. Um, so um, I think that, that the experience that we had 10 days ago is the same experience that many auctioneers are having right now that if they have good merchandise and quality merchandise, 
uh, fresh to the market that's reasonably estimated, um, it's going to sell and it's going to do very well. There were several major auctions this uh, last weekend on the 28th, I guess, that uh, I watched and uh, I was astonished that, you know, people were spending five figures, six figures for, for, for some of the items and it was all online. So um, it, as long as people remain confident uh, in the economy and they recognize that um, there's a chance that they can get a, get a, a buy, that we're still going to have bidders. And uh, so far, that's the message that I give to the consigners that, look, um, I've seen no fall off in uh, consumer confidence as it relates to bidding uh, at auction. People are bidding and people are buying. That's true. And there's always going to be people that need to sell situations of estates or whatever it is they just plain need to sell. So, um, it, it yeah, will happen one way or the other. And, and that's the hard part for us now, because when we do get a consigner call, um, we have to be very concerned about, do we want to send one of our specialists on a house call? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, my son, who works in our Denver office, um, got a call from an 82-year-old gentleman who last week who said, I'd like for you to come out and look at some property. And my son wisely said, I don't think that you really want me. You're not thinking through this. You really don't want me to come. Now, the ramifications of that are, are twofold. A, it's good for the potential consigner that, that we're concerned about his health. And of course, we're concerned about our employees' health. But B, it also means that we're not getting consignments. We can't pick up a consignment because we have to be worried about getting it someone infected. So um, yes. this is going to be the problem that all auction houses will face the longer this goes on. I think everybody has uh, material, most of the larger houses anyway, have material in the pipeline for another couple months. Mm -hmm. But after that, it's going to get tough. Yes. I spoke with a friend um, he's going to be on later on in this show, uh, John McGinnis, and he says he has seven auctions warehoused. Um, but you're right, after that, it gets scary. I personally had a uh, an appraisal lined up, uh, again, with a 85 or 86, something like that, year old gentleman that I canceled because of the same concerns. I don't want to be responsible um, yeah. for... Well, even if, you have, even if you have seven auctions in your warehouse... You have to have someone processing that material exactly. and you have to be photographing the material and putting it online for people to bid on. Mm -hmm. And in, in states where all businesses have been mandated to close by the state governor, that makes it really tough. Yes. And that's exactly the situation that it is in Massachusetts at this time. Exactly. Right. Wes, um, as always, um, I know you don't remember talking to me before, <laughs> but as always, it's nice talking to you. Martin, it's always talking to you. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. Take care. Thank you. Take care. You bet. All right, now my next guest is Rick Unruh, and uh, did I pronounce that right? Yeah, 
Yeah, unreal. Close, you know. Yeah. He had yeah. a little inflection, which is kind of nice. And uh, we worked for uh, a short while, we figured out, uh, together when I was out at Clark's Auction Gallery out in Oakland, California. It's uh, it's going to be one of the larger auction houses now in California, wouldn't you say? I mean, you do about $20 million a year there, right? Yes, that's pretty much uh, on target what we usually do. Hopefully, we'll do more <laughs> uh, yeah. with the new ownership. But, yeah, I mean... Uh, in, in the West Coast, we are one of the only players outside of a handful of people. Right, right. And uh, when I was there, um, I was there for six years. And I do recall that we were handling something like 6,500 items a month. Is that volume still happening there? That is pretty much what we do, yes. I mean, we have one three-day auction every month, every four to five weeks. And it does add up to that. And we try to get it all done that weekend. And sometimes it's late nights, but yes. Yeah. I used to tell people kind of jokingly, but probably on the true side, is that uh, um, it's about, you know, 500 really good items out of that 6,500. And then, uh, but that is such a great service that is so needed because people have to sell. And that is not going to change. And, you know, we're in a time... Um, we're in a time where, where things are tough, but people are still continuing. Um, they're going to need to sell. And yeah, I mean, that, that is definitely what I've been telling people. I mean, the word essential can be, you know, defined any way you like, and it can, it's not so black and white. There's a gray area there. And we do provide a way for people to liquidate their assets so they have some money. And I know, you know, if banks can be open, we are not open to the public, by the way. We are not. And that's, I want to make that perfectly clear. Um, but what we, we have in-house, in it's been here for a while. It, we've been selling, and we, and we have some nice estates, which we can talk about later. But, you know, this is a very important business for people that are going to be having tough times ahead uh, with either little, uh, no job at all or getting unemployment or who knows how long this is going to last and that, you know, how it's going to go for, going forward, now, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, people – having a job when they come out of this. Right, exactly. And uh, there's uh, there's close to 40 people that work there, uh, if I remember right, over 35. Well, we have 30. 35 yeah. uh, full and part-time, and right now we only have eight. Yeah, um, wow. We're, we're functioning with eight people. Well, I remember spending many, many long hours there cataloging, sometimes until 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I had been there a few times, you know, to meet the deadlines. And I oh, don't yeah. Understand. I mean, we're going to be doing that with the eight of us. And everybody is sure. like, I think I, I talked earlier is wears many hats. I mean, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm the CEO and president of this place, but I'm also a cataloger and I'm also the director of fine arts still. And I'm, you know, I'm answering phones in the front office. So you have to do everything to get through this crisis and uh, do it in a streamlined way and a safe way. Right. And uh, you've had, have you had a sale since, um, uh, the you know what hit the fan. <laughs> we did. I mean, the funny thing is, we we had a sale that was always, as I say, all you need to do is like flick on the on switch. It was already prepared, cataloged, photographed. Uh, we just had to change the way we executed it in the sense that we had no public come to this. We had no floor bidders because that just wouldn't be acceptable. And we did it all with locked doors on the platforms with you know, with the various bidding platforms that everybody uses. I don't know if I, I should say it on uh, on this, but, uh, uh, and that was very good. And also we had telephone bidding and we had absentee. 
So we got it done. And I don't know if I told you this, but it was 20% better than March of 2019. That, that, we, that is really good news to hear. I mean, uh, that you actually I mean, we did were scared better. Saturday night. We didn't know this was going to happen. But all of a sudden, everything did really well. Our sell through was high. Everything it was incredible. And just with a handful of people. Did you have people outside trying to get in? No. Now, we did have almost like a reservation at a restaurant or your doctor's office. We had appointments for one person to come in uh, and preview for half an hour. They were slots and you would have to go, you know, everybody was dressed in their proper safety wear and you six feet away and people could look at something and then they could register, you know, online later and somebody was outside they had to stay outside um yeah kind of like the restaurants that you know when they you order a pizza you know you, it's one at a time and it's done very safely that's the only public private previewing we had and actually it went over very well i mean i would say 90 percent of the people are like this is great let's do this again because they got special attention where they had the whole place of themselves as opposed to you know a mass group of people maybe 500 or so that come in for the auction days you know, various times and, you know, you have to watch them and you have to pay attention. And I that's think right. that's a way of the future, actually. And this is, you know, unfortunately, this is how a pandemic, a pandemic made it happen this way. But I think it's going to gravitate that way anyway on its own with, you know, just the way things are going to be working in the world. Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that were saying that, you know, audiences have gone way down. And that is true for the most part. Uh, since online has happened. But I will say, I do remember the gentleman counting people at the door. And there were a lot of auctions, even it didn't matter when it was, where there was over 3,500 people that came in the door and out the door, you know, uh, at least previewing and, and maybe uh, selling. Was that number still very high uh, since you've taken over in August? It is. That's funny you mentioned that. It has gone down substantially from when you were here because the internet presence yes. know, in the kind of the younger generation doesn't really want to come. Uh, they'd rather just see it all online on their phones or their tablets or their laptops. Um, you still have the, I would say the over 60 crowd, which definitely likes to come. But as I've been seeing a progression of online bidding go from about 25% to about 70% wow. of all our sales. Yeah. Now, when I was there, um, Invaluable did not let, um, uh, let's see, you couldn't belong to live auctioneers and be on Invaluable, but now you can. Are you also using that platform? Yes, we use both. And we have our own in-house one called Clars Live. Oh, and, yeah. And we are entertaining the, maybe if everything goes well with the future and, uh, you know, we go back to full capacity again uh, using BidSquare as well because I know they've improved yes. their website substantially from when they first started. Yes, I've, I've heard a lot of really good things about BidSquare. And uh, I'm signed up just so I friendly. get to notice. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. It's very user-friendly. Sorry, not to interrupt you. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm signed up just to get notices on BidSquare. And a lot of there's some really good auctions on there. Mm -hmm. um, for, the, for the person that is not familiar with what you generally have come through there, um, you have a lot of, you know, beautiful California art. But you get just about anything through there. I mentioned before the vo sheer volume; you're going to see everything. But in yeah, that, we do. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the area, um, you you know, you're from the East Coast. You're from Connecticut. You moved out there. Um, you see a lot of European and really nice, fine things. 
And uh, so I'm also going to give you a chance to plug the website. It's very easy, clars.com. Uh, anyone can check <laughs> that out. But um, So why don't you, if you can, kind of go over the, the type of different auctions you have, because right now you can't really have the offline auction like the Saturday. Yeah. Like I mean, the offline auction, if, if you can believe it, is something we're going to maybe hopefully eliminate because it's, you know, very low price things and very little money for anybody. Yes. Um, and it's also offline. So it's really just for our local crowd, but there is a scenario and we all know this, that when you take a whole estate, you take everything uh, within reason and you know, you can't just cherry pick. Um, cherry picking, as we say, is a lot of auction houses do that and that's fine. And sometimes we do collaborations with them they're going to take things extremely high and they get the call first you know we'll work with them selling some of the mid-range stuff but we do want the higher end things i mean uh i think i mentioned to you before i mean we are handling what's left of the robin williams estate uh mm. out of tiburon wow and there's some very nice art pieces and that's going to be featured on april 19th on our one day sale and, uh, and we're kind of excited about that i mean we're going to have a smaller amount of lots but it's going to be higher quality and you know we'll see what we can do with that and also frank j caulfield is also going to be featured in that sale and he was one of the uh, venture capitalist investors of uh with, with thomas perkins one of the one of the early ones so he's a uh, here in the silicon valley in san francisco area he's legendary um but you, you probably haven't heard of him out in your neck of the woods but mm -hmm. maybe like somebody on wall street might Wow. Wow. Um, so he has some good property. I mean, ooh, yeah. Until you see this stuff, you're going to like it. Wow. And that's where I lived. I lived in Tiburon. And I, I just got to tell a quick story because it's it's kind of, it's funny. Um, I was in Paradise Market, um, which is outside of uh, uh, Tiburon, actually toward, uh, I can't even remember exactly where at this point. But um, I saw Robin Williams behind me in line at the grocery store. <laughs> And I got into a conversation with him, and I told him I loved Mrs. Doubtfire, and he did a little bit of the Mrs. Doubtfire. That's and great. In the conversation, no, this really ends great. In the conversation, he asked what I did. You know, I basically told, him, "Well, I'm an auctioneer," and you know what? He auctioned things. Everyone in the store came around and watched him auction off like vegetables and stuff. Like he was actually a really good auctioneer, just like that. I can see that. I mean, that's yeah. a great story. I mean, the guy was just a genius. I mean, very quick and, of course, funny. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Good story. Yeah, that was, uh, that was something. Uh, a sad loss. And uh, so those uh, paintings are coming up on the eight, um, April 19th. Uh, this is, yes. of course, 2020. As uh, yes. This will be a time-stamped uh, podcast I've been telling people because of where we're at now. How do you foresee the just if you had to guess you know we have no idea where this thing is going to go um um are you do, are you concerned that you're going to get an order out there where you know nobody can come to work and you know what what then well i mean that is something that we are concerned with and we have a plan where we will follow that you know yes um and if we have to shut down we'll shut down but we'll come back when we can come back yeah. stronger and probably as we say if you're going to be at a casino double down and just have a huge either may or june auction that will be almost like two for one because we you know some of these things about this business you've got to keep keep it going you know and we have That's property right. but the property and I, I maybe i mentioned this or not is people don't want any pickups and i understand that i mean they're, if they're going to lock down they can't have 
you know, a, a truck and crew guys coming in their house, touching everything. Yes. <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of on hold for a while, but just for a while because people need to sell their property. And so it's going to be happening. It's just going to be the floodgates are kind of jammed right now. And when they open up, I expect everything to be back to normal. I mean, maybe, of course, uh, social distancing might be a regular thing amongst everybody for a while. Uh, yeah. That's going to be interesting. Um, but I think the auction houses, especially Clara's, can adapt and be successful in this environment. And it's going to be it's a good learning curve in, in, in how we have to adapt going forward to modernize ourselves too with what, what what's going to be successful and what's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I think it's a learning curve for every one of us and um, it, it will be really interesting. You know, the old saying for every action, there's a reaction. We're, we'll see, um, you know, how it'll affect um, how we go forward from this point on. And hopefully, um, you know, uh, Wes Cowan that was on earlier said it, you're either a collector or not. So there's going to be a demand of, People are going to want to buy, and right now, a lot of people are stuck at home and looking at the walls. So uh, they are definitely bored, and they want they they are looking at the auctions right now, yes. and they're buying things, which is great. That's right. That's right. Rick, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and always fun to talk to you. Thanks, Martin. Very nice talking to you, and stay warm out there and safe, of course. Yeah, that's right. All right, take care. Right, my next guest is, uh, my, I should say, my final guest for this podcast is Greg Willett. Um, Greg Willett, I uh, I met Greg. Uh, back, I was thinking about this today, Greg. I met you back in 1977. That was the year, and I just want to set the stage for. I know you were on a very early podcast here. I told the story, I do believe, but I was I was driving along to Colorado for a job in Niwot, um at an auction house in Niwot, Colorado, a little tiny town. And um, we're, I'm somewhere like in Indiana in this, I, I'm gonna, I remember it as a yellow Kansas. Dodge van. I'm not sure if it was yellow. Kansas. Was it yellow? Yeah. Yeah, Goes Kansas. flying by me with about 30 press back oak chairs on tied to the top. <laughs> so like hours and hours later, I pull into this, rest stop um i believe even in another state and uh, there you were um so we had a conversation just a quick conversation i said wow you know i'm in the antiques world we never really i never really said hey you know i'm going to niwot and all that stuff and where are you in colorado all that never really got into a conversation <clears throat> and then about three months later my sister was out in colorado too um in lyons colorado uh, no she was outside of lyons i can't remember the name of the town but um I went over for a barbecue and we were playing volleyball and I turned around and there you were on my team. <laughs> That's how we met. That was in 1977. And uh, I don't say that we really, you know, we didn't really talk much then, but over the years um, you moved back where I lived and there was all kinds of crisscrosses and now you're out in Appleton, Wisconsin, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. And so you have a, uh, as mentioned in the previous show, you have picked all, not all over the country, but all over the world. You've picked, an, uh, you're a door knocker or a picker, um, you know, a global picker, not an American picker. And in uh, uh, Mexico, right? In um, China? Canada, Canada, Mexico. Oh, yeah, a lot in Canada, right? 
a lot. Yeah. And Spain, uh, Portugal, France, uh, <laughs> East Berlin. Uh, and then uh, most recently, although it's not that recent, 2002 to 2008, I was working in China where it took me two and a half years to get permission to go into the villages. Wow. And then came the Olympics and everything changed. And uh, I've been a homeboy since then. Now, uh, for the people that are watching this uh, video on YouTube, this is an audio podcast mostly, but for the ones who do watch it on YouTube, you're wearing your mask. You're wearing your, your bandana mask. Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. You're <laughs> Safety fall. first. Yeah. Uh, so we are in such a strange time. And this is, I, I've told other people on the show, this is kind of like a, a time-stamped uh, podcast uh, right in the middle of this thing. And uh, the date now is uh, April 4th. Uh, 2020 and we're dealing with the virus and we're always going to be talking the future oh that's the way it was before the virus and, and this is uh it, and probably you know realistically sort of like the beginning of the the virus and and we're here today uh not to talk about that but to talk about um the antiques business and uh, i know uh I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit about yourself but i know for instance you've done a you've had a really big ebay presence and uh, are you still doing that? Yes. Um, as I get older, uh, I, I change my business a little bit. But eBay, I've sold, I think at this point, uh, over 20,000 items on eBay wow. in about 13 years. And there's some guys that sell that much in a year. But I'm not selling blue widgets. I'm selling antiques. Yeah. And uh, I learned a long time ago, uh, I didn't put it to use until recently, but smalls and smiles spell success. Yeah. And uh, although I've sold cars on, on eBay, et cetera, et cetera, if you can hold it in your hand and it has value, uh, it's not a fun way to sell, but you sell to the world and there's money to be made. So yeah, I I haven't done much eBay in the last two weeks because of the uh, the lockdown. I took it as a, an excuse to take a little vacation uh, in, in my own home. Yeah. Are you driving yourself crazy yet? No, but I did have to establish about five days ago. I realized I had to establish a uh, structure because I was uh -huh. floating around and I was obsessed. I, I like politics. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I understand medicine because I went to Georgetown University pre-med. So I was getting obsessed with 24-7 uh, COVID. And so I've made time for music in my life. Um, I uh, recently put out a desperate plea for a French maid outfit so I could start cleaning my own house. I don't want to picture that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does. And, uh, and then uh, it's funny, uh, the first Saturday that I had just been in Washington, D.C. with my, six, my 96 year old mother. The day before I left her senior campus on the sign on the door was if you've been overseas or don't feel well, stay out. Yeah. Next day I left, it says, if you don't live here, stay out. Yeah. So yeah. it was perfect timing on my part and she's doing great. That's good. But a week later, I had a, I had to go pick up stuff that I bought from a Victorian uh, mansion in Oshkosh. I had my three employees drive down in separate vehicles. We met one woman there, um, practiced social distancing. And when my truck and trailer were full, I thought to myself, what am I supposed to do with this stuff now? Yeah. So I, I, I possess it. I don't know who I'm going to sell it to, but slowly the smalls will go on eBay and the antique mall will open up sooner or later. Yeah. 
Well, I know it's 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 a very tricky thing to try to try to, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't really understand what is going to happen, you know, forward from here. Uh, a, a number of people I've talked to uh, have been, you know, optimistic in online sales, and I think um, I think that may be the way we have to, at least for now, um, you know, up to maybe even two years. Uh, we have to get very creative and uh, uh, figure out. I agree. I agree with your uh, time frame. It's not going to be uh, six weeks and done. Yeah. Uh, it's the, it's going to take a long, long time to get the wrinkles ironed out. And uh, I was privileged to hear the audio of the, uh, the people you interviewed before me. And they're all uh, important auctioneers who are very well positioned to take uh, advantage of the online markets. Uh, as an individual dealer, I'm well positioned on eBay. I have yet to play the uh, Pinterest and all the other little uh, more retail oriented sites, but I'm smart enough to do it if I need it. Uh, I'm, I'm bemoaning the fact that the antique mall is closed and that Elkhorn will not happen, a big show in Wisconsin, Brimfield is postponed. What are we supposed to do with all the meat we buy? That's that's really that's really that's really a big question. And uh, as I, I spoke with uh, Rick Unra uh, from Clar's auction, he said, you know, the floodgates are going to open of the things that need to be sold. Um, and, you know, should we tell the buying audience out there that this is, you know, uh, this is going to be a great time to buy or, or you know, I mean, any, anything could happen, really. It's uh, it's almost like uh, it's almost like guessing at this point. You know, the values online auctions seem to be pretty substantial and pretty uh, pretty much uh, holding. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to continue. You know, uh, it's all well, guesses. So you're the values of the good stuff. Wes said, if you're a collector, yeah. you're a collector. Yeah. So back to the meat again. Uh, I've watched over the last few years. Uh, we both uh, handle estate sales. And uh, my biggest competition comes from the companies that are offering the online or the virtual sales. 40-year-old Greg would have jumped on that wagon uh, within the first week. 69-year-old Greg doesn't need that aspect, or I didn't think I needed the aspect of that business. Yeah. And and I watched those sales for regular stuff, 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 not antiques. The stuff goes for nothing. Yeah. But it goes away. It goes uh, away. And that's that's an aspect that people need. It's not like um there's a there's a lot of situations where, you know, A, someone's moving. Um, they have to downsize. It's just the way it is. They're going into assisted living or whatever. Uh, B, uh, unfortunately, they pass away, but, uh, you know, the relatives can only take so much even if they want anything. And that has to go somewhere. It's not going to go in the landfills. Um, but, I mean, is this, you know, could this floodgate when it actually opens and the virus is o over, you know, is it possible that it's going to be such a flood that uh, we we have no idea what will happen with uh, with the prices because of buyers can only buy so much at a time. That's an interesting question. Uh, in normal times, uh, I'll go to uh, uh, a, a baby boomer or older's home and they're getting ready to downsize onto a senior campus or an apartment or to move to Florida. 
And I have to sit there and explain to them that their dining room set is one of a multitude that could be available on any given day of any week. Their sleeper sofa is one of a multitude. Everybody doesn't bring their second bedroom. It goes on and on and on, the multiple items that hit the deck. So uh, it suppresses the price, but there's always people, especially in frugal Wisconsin, that are willing to take advantage of, uh, of a good deal. So there, there could be a tidal wave coming, uh, and that could depress the prices even lower. But for that kind of stuff, just be thankful that it's gone. Right now, there's been days that the thrift shops will deny a donation of a china hutch because they have too many on the floor. Yeah. I have a friend that's a real estate agent in, uh, in the wealthy suburbs of Washington, D.C. Recently had a client who's moving from her house to a senior campus. They can find no one to deal with the contents of the house. Not an auctioneer, not an estate sale company, not a thrift store, not come and get it for free. Nobody's taking the stuff. I suggested to her that they, uh, she'd get her husband and grandkids to throw it in a pod. If she wants the real estate commission, yeah. the house has to be empty. But a wave's going to hit. I don't know if it's going to be a tsunami because if people are going to start venturing out, we're going to get back to normal in baby steps. So uh, initially... Well, you know perfectly well, the best auctioneers in New England uh, have always had January 1st or first week of January sales yeah. because people have cabin fever. So there's going to be a lot of cabin fever pent up. And so as the stuff does start to trickle out, uh, it'll, it'll, get, it'll get consumed. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be a tsunami or not. Also, you know, people are, con as I mentioned by the, the past guests that I've had on the show, people do, you just mentioned cabin fever. People now, uh, it used to be just winter in uh, the northern states where people were more or less confined to their home and looking around and saying, you know, hey, I could hang this painting over there. And, you know, uh, I want this for my, you know, this for my collection, whatever, because they're living with it more intensely at that time. Now, here we are living with things more intensely. And I think that's what's uh, keeping the, um, you know, some of the online auctions strong, even at this point. Um, now, you mentioned earlier, were you actually talking about, are there, is there such a thing as virtual estate sales? Is that what you were talking about? Yes, absolutely. How does that work? The companies come into your house, they spread everything out, they photograph it, they give it a lot number and a two-line description. It goes on the internet for X number of days. Uh, it's like a timed auction. And then at the end, uh, everybody shows up uh, on Saturday between 10 and 5 and picks their stuff up. So, and uh, the commissions tend to be a little higher than what I would charge. Uh, and I always ask the customer, when you hire a company, make sure you know what you're paying, when your stuff will be sold, uh, and what happens with the leftover. And of course, there's always going to be stuff that doesn't sell. Right. So, That's always anyway, an issue. Yeah. And the people that like this venue are uh, hoarders that are embarrassed by what they have and people that are very private and don't want their neighbors and strangers walking through their house. And so the guys that are doing it are busy. Right. Uh, Greg, I was thinking, uh, you know, just the thought just came across my mind. I, I would like to end this uh, this podcast with all these different people I've spoken to on kind of like a higher note, if possible, because uh, just because. So I would like, if you would, could you share some of the more interesting 
stories you had when you were door knocking. Um, I would love to hear, there was this, I believe you knocked on a door in maybe Nova Scotia in, and uh, this woman wanted to look at a chest in the attic. There was a couple of really oh. <laughs> interesting, like maybe that, that one's not funny. I'm not sure. I can't remember, but I do well, remember it. It's astonishing. Well, I'll tell you two quick ones. That was Mrs. McDonald in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, 90 some years old, tough as nails and tight, Scottish and tight. And uh, in her garage, there was a stairway to the side that led up to an overhead attic. And she gave me permission to go up. I said, the sea chest, do you want to sell that? And now she's clawing her way up the stairs. And the sea chest, there was a sloped roof. So I pulled the sea chest out. She goes, not what's in it. So I had to lift the lid. And the lid was up properly. But as she leaned forward, she pushed the chest back against the wall. The lid came down and knocked her on the head, gashed her head, bleeding and Ooh, unconscious. Ouch. I was with uh, uh, my partner, Jean-Pierre, and uh, I ran downstairs, ran into her house, got some wet water, rags and everything, came back up, and she's finally coming to, and she said, what happened? I said, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, you took a tumble. <laughs> Did she actually go down the stairs? No, no. She fell on the floor in front oh, of the chest. Thank goodness. So we got her with a big egg, and we got her back together. Wow. Uh, just, the, you know, the most important thing, were you able to buy the... Sea chest? Yeah, I got the chest. <laughs> Sorry. My, my favorite Nova Scotia story was a woman, I'm at her door, and she told me, oh, I only buy from that nice picker Jacques Gilbert. I mean, and you I, only I, sell to him? Yeah. I only, I only sell to Jacques Gilbert. Sorry. And I said, oh, dear, you haven't heard. She said, heard what? I said, he was in a car accident and he's dead. She goes, <laughs> oh, my God. She said, well, come in. That's sort of lost stuff. About a month or so later, we're at the uh, the PICS, the, uh, the the meeting of, of all the fur traders in, in Quebec. At the, every two weeks or so, every picker in the country would come together and trade their goods. And I'm there, and I feel this tight grip on my shoulder. And he goes, I'm pretty strong for a dead man, aren't I? And it was actually bear. <laughs> now, if I remember right, you had uh, you had a lot of, uh, of things with this uh, Jacques. Uh, back and forth. There was a there was a lot of things that he would do to you as well, right? Oh, absolutely. So we're all picking. I mean, we're picking the province of Nova Scotia, the province of New Brunswick, but there's 20 to 30 pickers. So we're constantly zigzagging and in each either ahead of each other, behind each other, and it was pretty cutthroat. And uh, there was another story. I'm not sure if you mentioned this online or not, but there was something about a Canadian Louis. Louis sixteen. Oh, share. so uh, yeah, there was a very aggressive uh, dealer, and one day I was talking to my partner, and we t uh, we were discussing a early French Canadian cupboard that we had found in a very small village, and the village uh, only had probably ninety houses in it. Can I just can I just stop you right there, um, because I want to just say to the listener, because most people would be unaware, these um, early French influenced. Canadian pieces are extremely rare and extremely sought after. Am I right yes. about that? Yes, they are. Yes, yeah. they are. Thousands. Yeah. Okay, so continue. This dealer yeah. overheard our conversation at the restaurant, threw down this check. Which, he did like a Dukes of Hazard out of the parking lot with the gravel flying. And I looked and I thought, oh, no. And sure enough, uh, he's off to the village. And he got a cupboard. And I didn't. It ah. took him a day to find it. 
So uh, we were buying in France at the time. I had a pair of Louis Fourteenth uh, chairs that, uh, if they had been Canadian, would have been high dollar, but they were French. So I put them in the basement of a small village where my repairman's mother lived. And then I uh, had loose lips at the restaurant again. And within two days, those chairs are in the front of his shop in the big picture window, for <laughs> $5,000 price tag on them. I told the pickers, uh, my repairman's mother, not to take less than 1500 for the two chairs. And then the expert from Montreal came and straightened them out. That they were uh, French and worth about mm, 350 to 500 for the pair. Wow. Wow. So I guess, uh, yeah. Did you ever... Uh... Uh, end on a good note with him, or was it always like that? He never knew who did it. <laughs> Revenge is best served cold. He had no idea. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, well. hey, Greg, we're all in this together. This is a, a very trying time, um, and in, I think in a, in a strange way, a historic time. But uh, thank you for uh, some of that, uh, those enlightening stories. Well, Except uh, I forgot the poor woman uh, got hurt. That's... Uh, I'm sorry about that part. Well, it was an accident, but she survived. She was tough as All right, everyone, that's it for the show. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, stay safe, and look forward to upcoming episodes.